Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Laura. Hi everyone, I'm a compulsive overeater. My name's Laura. I'm powerless over food and uh, nervous, you know. Um, I had these thoughts about, I don't know if I can live up to the promo about being this great speaker. And, you know, I don't have to be a great speaker. All I need to do is just, um, you know, really ask you to tell my story. And... Um, my my prayer is that I do it in a way that is of service and is useful. And especially welcome to our newcomers. Welcome back to people who are coming back. Um, let's see. So, and who's the timer? Yeah, could you... Uh, so, what do I have? Like half an hour? Could I have 10, 10, 10? Yeah, 10 after. I'll, I'll let you know when you have 10 minutes left. That's great. Okay, thank you. Um, let's see. You know, I love this meeting. I listen to the podcast whenever I go out of town. And so it's really comforting to me just to hear the preamble, the announcements, because I listen to that all the time. And one of the things that I do when I travel is I seek out meetings out of town. You know, welcome to our friend from New York. It's one of the things that I love to do is visit meetings wherever I go. And it's it's just a way for me to stay connected. Um, I love this program. I just love this program so much. And uh, I shared a meeting last week. I got really weepy. I don't know what's been connecting me to this program that way, but I just have so much gratitude. So um, to get the stats out of the way, um, I first came in when I was 17, 17 or 18. I had never been overweight, and I went away to college and I was dancing a lot. I was dancing about two to six hours a day, and I gained 50 pounds that year. So that's a lot of food. That's a lot of consumption for the amount of energy I was putting out. And the reason I had never gained weight previously was because I've always been really active. I've always had a high metabolism. So it just didn't catch up to me. But the eating, the crazy eating and the crazy thoughts were all there previously. Um, I came in and I lost the weight that summer when I was in Overeaters Anonymous. And I remember going to meetings and uh, I could connect to the food plan, the planning of the food, because I'd never dieted before. I'm one of the lucky people that had never dieted. So I could just come in and run the food plan with help and that worked well. And I could grasp the emotional recovery stuff because I started therapy when I was 14, so that was a breeze. But, the, you know, the part about the spirituality really eluded me. Um, I, uh, I grew up in a, like, a culturally Jewish household that, you know, we'd go celebrate the high holidays, and my sister and I were really irreverent, and we laughed during the services, and, you know, really get off on it, and my mother laughed, and it was like a whole thing. So there was never any real discussion of God, and so when I came in here, 
people would talk about God. I wasn't offended by it. I was just neutral. It was just a completely foreign concept to me. I didn't really have any baggage about what God was or could be or should be. But um, at least in part because I couldn't grasp that there might be a power greater than myself. That's one reason I think I didn't stick around. But the other reason was, you know, I was just a young hotshot. I, I really was. I thought that I was really too cool for OA. And when I went back to school in particular, the only meetings I could get to was in kind of a small town. And the women there were like I now am, you know, this middle-aged woman. who, um, you know, and, and I could only get to the daytime meetings. And there weren't a lot of young people in. And there weren't a lot of men in then. And um, I just didn't get the sense of being connected to a community or I wasn't ready to connect to a community at that point. So I left for about eight more years of research, and my weight would just kind of fluctuate, um, but always around 45 pounds over what I am today and what I'd been from the time I was a teenager. Um, I started telling my stats, but then I rambled into this other direction. But my stats are that um, I've been maintaining a 45-pound weight loss for 23 years of abstinence, and, um, you know, it's just a friggin' miracle because I've been a healthy body weight for longer than I was fat. And I, you know, I just, um, I'm really grateful for that. Um, I have, I have this pair of jeans that I embroidered when I was in junior high and I wear them for Halloween sometimes. And, you know, like, I remember when I pulled them out. And I tried them on, you know, 30 years later, and they fit. I just thought, this is just weird. This is just weird and wonderful and a huge, huge blessing. Um, and I don't take it for granted. I, I think a lot of times when I'm out and I see people that may qualify for this program, I just, you know, I just give thanks that I don't have to walk around in that pain and I don't have to walk around thinking about where's the next binge going to happen because I just walked around all the time thinking about where's the next binge going to happen. So when I came back eight years after that initial run-through that I had, The way I came back was that I was uh, in this little group of artsy people who were all recovering addicts and alcoholics. And I was dating a recovering alcoholic who told me that he was um, going to meetings once a day. And I just thought he was such a loser. You know, I really did. I couldn't imagine. But he was cool. See, this was the thing that threw me off. These people were all really cool, so that caught my attention. And that was really important to me. Um, So then I ran into a friend from high school who was a recovering heroin addict. And I said, oh, yeah, I used to go to that OA. And she said, really? You should come to an NA meeting with me. She got really excited. And I thought it was odd that she invited me to go to an NA meeting. But I liked her, and I was curious. And so I got stepped back into recovery through NA. And the way it happened was... She invited me to go, and I just kept going. And I'd sit. There were these kind of crowded little rooms in a 
church basement in Georgetown in D.C. And I sit in there with all these hipsters who are talking about how they mainline heroin. And I totally related. <laughs> and I thought, this is very weird. And, you know, I used to read those books about drug addict kids when I was young. And, and I loved those books. I don't know why I loved those books so much. But, you know, it was because I was bound and determined to discover my own inner addict. And there, you know, so there she was, uh, 20 years later, full blown. But I had to kind of... To me, a way, that was like the pig disease. It was not cool. I was too young. I was too creative. I couldn't have any of it. But I came in through that side door of N.A., and I went for three months. I just sit in those basements in Georgetown. It was, I lived in Maryland. It was like a schlep. I'd go down there, and I'd cry. I'd just sit there and cry because I completely related to these people. And I had to, I had to come in that way and hear it really hardcore, um, so that's how I got back, and eventually, after about two months of that, I made my way back in OA, and I was ready. And I still was one of the younger members. Um, is this for me, this water? Yeah. Thank you very much. So um, I was kind of one of the younger members, but I went into it like I do a lot of things, which is full bore. And so I was going to one to three meetings a week. Just like that guy that I thought was a loser, I was going to one to three, not, not a week, one to three meetings a day because I was eating so completely out of control. I got a sponsor, I'm working the steps, I'm using the tools, I'm writing, I'm praying, I'm doing service, I'm doing all the shit I'm told to do, and I couldn't get abstinent. And um, eventually I got struck abstinent. I don't know why. You know, the, there's a mystery element in recovery as far as I'm concerned. The mystery element is the higher power element. Like, there's something going on here that can't be explained. And for people who don't like God, can't get God, can't grasp God, no requirements here. You know, there's no requirement that you believe in God. It's a power greater than ourselves. And for me, that power greater than myself is there's just this mystery to we get together in these rooms, we tell our stories, we identify with one another, and we get this gift, this unexplainable gift of, you know, there's a room full of people here. Many of us have been abstaining for a long period of time and maintaining weight loss, and we are not people who should be having that happen to us. You know, it's like that's that's not who we are. We're we are just crazy. I'll, I'll keep it clean, but we are crazy people when it comes to um, how we overeat. Um, how I overeat was, um, you know, just a lot of things. I think the the worst part of it for me because I had I had accepted being fat. I'd really just gotten to the point where I was okay with being fat. And I knew how to, you know, make it okay. And, and I did. I had all these tricks for making it okay. But that wasn't a problem for me. The overweight wasn't the biggest problem for me. It was the disconnect from people that I cared about. That was the part that, I, that caused me so much pain. And um, that's what really brought me back, was that I could be out to a meal with people that I loved and 
I was just waiting for that. Like, when will you get up and go to the bathroom so I can eat the bread, 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 eat the bread? You know, it's just like, when's the meal going to end so I can get the ice cream, 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 get the ice cream? Like, and, and you know, I can even feel it now as I sit, because that's how it lived for me. It was just like, just a tape loop running through me all the time. When can I get it next so I can have that experience of that hit coursing through my veins? Just like I heard the drug addict say, I had to have it coursing through my veins so that I get that hit, I get that high, because for me it was a high. I'd get, I'd, I'd get, you know, really up from the sugar, and then I'd crash really hard. And then I had to get up again so I could crash again, so I could get up again so I could crash again. And, um, you know, that, that, was, that was pretty much how it, how it ran. That was, that was how it went. And, you know, I like to include some photos in there of the pre-recovery days that have some joy in them because it's really important for me to remember that my life was not all dark at that time and that the spark of optimism that I had during that period, um, it just, uh, I think that's what kept me going. And I heard, I heard this guy say at a meeting in San Francisco about 20 years ago, um, when I couldn't get to an OA meeting, I went to an AA meeting, which is one of the things I do when I can't get to OA and I'm out of town. This guy in this meeting, and it was one of those things where it was, you know, it was a meeting in a really shady, shady part of town, and a lot of characters there that I didn't feel entirely comfortable with, and he was one of them. And see, that's what I love in these, in these rooms, is that you never know whose mouth something incredible is going to fall out of, which helps me kind of walk around the world just marginally less judgmental than I would normally be, you know, so that it's like, you know, I just, I get incrementally better in here, and so, you know, sometimes, because still, I'll be in a meeting, and somebody gets ready to talk, oh, this one again, you know, and, you know, and then, <laughs> that's honestly, that's what I was thinking about myself, as I got here, I'm like, oh, God, you people have heard, sad. like, five of you have heard my story so friggin' many times, I'm so tired of my story but you know what can I do it's my story anyway this guy this guy that I thought would have nothing to say to me what he said was um, he said there was a higher power looking out for you when you were out there before you came in and that higher power kept you alive before you came in and um, I really believe that's true you know that's the part of me that has this idea that um that I was being taken care of. And how I know that is that, um, you know, and, and it re- it, I, I don't mean this as a joke at all. I mean this dead seriously, that I didn't kill myself or somebody else because the way I drove when I was under the influence of food was, um, you know, really, truly insane. And I didn't know how insane it was until there was time that I was driving. Uh, it was after we graduated from college. My girlfriend and I were taking this trip to Maine from Maryland, and I was driving um, the 76 Marquis, big-ass car, right? And I'm flooring it in the fast lane like I usually do, and still do. And um, my sugar level had dropped out, and there was a Howard Johnson's, and I had to get my rush, you know? And so, um, so I cut across traffic without signaling, without looking over my shoulder, and I don't think I knew that I did that because I think what would happen to me is that I would kind of just go into this blackout 
of I need it and I need it now. See, this is why I believe this is a disease. Because a sane person doesn't drive that way, doesn't think that way, doesn't behave that way, isn't kept from connecting with other people. Um, you know, like I said, be sitting with somebody I loved at a meal, waiting for the meal to end so I could binge. And that really saddened me. It broke my heart. Because like a lot of people in these rooms, I am one of these people who feels things really deeply and I care really deeply and I love really deeply and um, I get pissed really deeply you know all those things and so for me to not be able to connect with people when I wanted to it, it, that's what really made me come back here um, that incident on the freeway shook my passenger up so much as you can imagine and I'm really grateful that she told me about it because I believe incidents like that were happening frequently and I didn't know about them the incidents I do, I do remember I do remember very clearly having um, like 2 in the morning driving on ice holding my Haagen-Dazs gnawing down the edge of the Haagen-Dazs container and just you know eating it like an animal like you know that's that's the kind of shit I did it's not pretty. It's not a pretty disease. It's just not a pretty disease. Um, so I'm really grateful to have the freedom that I have today. I have so much freedom with food today. And it's not that I don't still sometimes get obsessed about food. I do. But, and sometimes I get really aggravated about having to chop more vegetables like more vegetables chop more vegetables you know we've got like reams of Tupperware and all of our you know little lunch pails and everything and I pack all these meals and I measure all these meals and um, there's that it's, it's a positive use of my obsessiveness it is you know it's one of the positive uses of my obsessive nature today um I just have so much freedom today. Um, it's, it's amazing. And I think it just keeps getting better. It really does keep getting better. There's, there's the piece of it where the road gets narrower. And, um, you know, I appreciated what somebody shared earlier. It's tough one. You know, a lot of it is tough one. It's not easy. It's, it's not an easy program. And it doesn't get easier. But life just keeps improving. Um, I think that it, it's just so worth it. It's so worth the work that goes into being here. And it is work. You know, there's no question it is work. It is painful at times. I have to look at myself, review my behavior, monitor my behavior, be aware of what I'm doing, not just with food. It starts with food. So I start with, I don't eat angry. I don't, you know, I don't. Like... Um, I grew up in a household where there was a lot of anger at the table, and so I don't I don't eat angry. I pause when agitated, and I pray, and I just like take a moment to breathe before I eat, especially when I'm agitated. I try to avoid difficult conversations around meals to have meal time be a pleasant exchange. Um, and then you know <laughs> how my world opens is 
there were times where I'd be so deliberate with people that they'd bring up some hard topic at a meal, and it'd be like, oh, no, we're not going to talk about that right now. You have to save that till after dinner, and then I'll talk to you about it. And I'd do it really hard line. No, because I had to learn how to set my boundaries. And then I, I, was, I was really fun to be with when I was boundary girl. People would, like, come to me for, people would come to me for boundary coaching. They were like, God, you're so good at setting boundaries. Can you teach me how? So then, I, then the next step was to learn how to soften the boundaries. How do I be a little less boundary girl? So, then, so, so now sometimes it'll be, you know, I'd be really happy to talk to you about that. Would you mind? Could we possibly talk about that after dinner? Like I can say it in a lighter way. And, and sometimes I look at the person's face and I go, this person really needs to talk about this right now. I need to set aside my preference to have pleasant conversation at meals and let them just unload right now because they need to. And, you know, that for me is like some of the flexibility that I need to have with food, too. So uh, I had a sponsor 20 years ago who defined abstinence as rigidity and flexibility. So the rigidity for me is I eat the same breakfast every morning pretty much no matter what, unless I can't, and then I don't, and I have something else. And I have a very similar lunch and dinner every day. I have very particular snacks, and unless I can't get them, and then I have something else. And, you know, if we're, like, driving out to see my fiancé's dad in the desert and we're coming home and it's late at night I'll eat at Wendy's I don't want to but I will you know it's not my preferred meal but that's the flexibility the rigidity is I have really specific places I prefer to eat and the flexibility is I don't have to um, in the beginning my first six months of abstinence I didn't eat one meal out I ate every meal at home alone reading the big book that was my first six months of abstinence I was too scared to eat out I really was and I remember the first meal I ate out with um, it was with a sponsee and it was this amazingly deliberate meal um, really thoughtful and mindful and um, you know there's so many just sweet memories of times that people have carried me through the program. So many incidents of people helping me, both when I was in relapse. Relapse is part of my story. Um, early on, this time around in the 80, late 80s, I got abstinent, had a violent relapse, gained all my weight back, and that crawling my way out of that relapse um, really humbled me about this disease because I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing in here and I couldn't get abstinent. So that, again, tells me it's not my will. It's not my power. It's not within my power. It's, you know, there's something else happening here that helps me get and stay abstinent. But when I was um, in that relapse, there were a couple incidents that really struck me. One was... um, I was at a meeting, it was about 20 minutes from my home, and uh, there was, and I said, because I reported everything I binged, so I reported the roughly 5,000 calories I was binging on top of my three enormous meals a day, and every detail of it that I could remember, um, I reported. And that really helped me. That helped me get the shame out of it. Like, here's what I binged on today, and here's the abstinent meals I ate. So what I got in place was, I'd eat the abstinent meals, and then I'd do all my binging and report it all out. And... So I went to a meeting 20 minutes from my home, and I said, uh, as, I, as I often did at meetings, I said, and I'm going to binge on my way home. And this woman came up to me after the meeting, and she said, would you like me to follow you home? And I said, well, 
I live here. Where do you live? And she lived 20 minutes the opposite way. And so I said, oh, don't worry about it. And she said, would you like me to follow you home? And so um, I let her. I let her follow me home. I let her drive 40 minutes out of her way to, to follow me home, and I didn't have to binge on the way home. I, I don't remember who she was. I have no idea who she was. You know, And see, that's the anonymous nature of this program. This woman... Uh, there was this one time I was moving. I was getting ready to go back to school. I was scared out of my mind from my move. I didn't even ask for help. I just went to the meeting and shared about how I was completely overwhelmed by the move. This woman, I can vaguely remember what she looked like. She walked up to me and she said, would you like my help? And she came to my house and helped me pack. This woman I didn't know. And I've had people like that all along the way just helping me. Um, Sometimes I ask for the help, and sometimes it's just offered. Um, I had uh, surgery on both my feet about four years ago. I mean, that, that help that came was, uh, you know, it's just extraordinary, the help that comes here. And, and it really is anonymous. You know, it's like we sometimes make friends here, and that's terrific when that happens, but there's... You know, I just think about how I started out in the program on the East Coast, and then I moved to the Southwest, and I moved here. I've been to meetings all over the country. I've been to meetings internationally when I travel, and I just, you know, I can, I can plug in to program wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, and I don't even have to be in a meeting. I can lie in my bed and listen to a podcast. I can lie in my bed and imagine myself in a meeting. Just imagine the faces in a meeting and feel comforted. And just remember that I'm not alone, that there are other people in meetings that are happening somewhere in the world that are walking through deaths, births, marriages, divorces, new jobs, lost jobs, bought houses, lost houses, new cars, dead cars, dying pets, new pets. People all over the world are walking through this shit abstinently. And um, that's what I learned how to do here. So what... You know, I think that with the consistency of sticking around, which is, you know, I stick around because I'm still nuts, like so much better, but still nuts. And But the consistency for me is there's always new life experiences. Um, I'm engaged now. I'm living with my fiancé now. And, uh, you know, he can testify to what a joyride I can be to be with <laughs> And, you know, it's a big adjustment. It's a big adjustment for both of us. And I am doing it with, like, I'm able to do it today, sometimes gracefully, sometimes gracelessly. And I'm able to do it today because of the stability that I've gained in here, you know, because of the foundation I've got. Um, a couple of weekends ago, two weekends ago, I uh, had a business trip up north and, this woman that was a mentor to me from the time I was a teenager was up there, has moved up there now. She's 91, and I hadn't seen her in a really long time. And I went up and spent the night with her. And she just kept looking at me. I walked in the door, and she just she just kept going, Is that you? Is that you? Um, and I know why she was saying that, because she remembers how frantic I was all the time, how frenetic, how, like, that inner turmoil that was always there. And I think it was really externally visible, too, how out of control I was, was really, and 
it always floors me when people say, after I speak at a meeting, people talk about how serene I am. <laughs> talk to my fiance. I'm so serene. You know, it's like I'm not. I'm like inside. I'm still. I'm still irritable, discontent at times. And at times, I'm peaceful. I'm calm. I'm grateful. Even when I'm irritable and discontented, I'm still grateful. Like, I still I still write a gratitude list every day, even when there's hard stuff that's going on. And so what she saw and what I know has shifted for me, but to get that feedback from her was, you know, she sees that I have learned all these coping skills, all these ways of not just coping, but, like, enjoying and delighting in life and... Um, no, I really have a life today that is so much better than anything I could have imagined. It's in my, Really, I never could have imagined living on the West Coast. I was a hardcore East Coast snob, and I, like L.A. was not any place I ever wanted to come or visit or live or anything until I did. And now I've been here 15 years and own a home here and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's... It's so unexpected. Life is so unexpected when I'm not trying to control it all. And when I'm listening to my instinct about um, what, is, what is power greater than myself want? Not just what do I want. Because I'm really willful. And there's all kinds of things that I want. But um, what's the highest and best use for my talents? in a given situation or at work if something comes up you know who am I supposed to be here at work when this irritating client calls me who am I supposed to be like thank God it's on the phone and I can just breathe and listen (laughs) until I calm down because the person is irritating me and I can calm down I'm so lucky because so much of my correspondence is by email and so I can just read the email and breathe and look at a different email if that one's really agitating me (laughs) I can get up and go for a walk I don't have to like jump up like a rat in a maze anymore running to the vending machine running to the vending machine 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 machine. you know it's like and at this place they have free food all the time free like free crap all the time a whole cupboard full of all the shit I don't eat and I don't eat it. It's not my food. I don't even see it. It's like it doesn't exist for me. Candy doesn't exist for me. Cake doesn't exist for me. Ice cream doesn't exist for me. Chips don't exist for me. Nuts don't exist for me. They're, they're just not a part of my life today. What, what a crazy freedom is that? Just, it, just nuts that I have that freedom. That just such a gift. Um, people are always stunned when they learn I don't eat sugar. Uh, haven't eaten sugar for 23 years and it's it is it's bizarre and weird and wonderful and again to me it is a mystery of how this program works that something happens when we come around here and we do what we're told to do and we follow directions and you know we get struck abstinent and we get an opportunity to help others and to be useful um you know, I think that that really is one of my greatest joys is that today I get to be useful. And I, and I will tell you, when I go out to meals with people now, not only am I present with the people I'm with, sometimes I forget how good the meal is and then I'm pissed because I just had this great meal that I didn't even notice. 
And I have to call somebody afterwards and say, I'm so pissed. I was so present with my friend that I missed this incredible meal. I wasn't paying attention to it. Because that's how I am, you know. I'll resent it if I, like, miss out on paying attention to a meal now. But the great news is I can just laugh about it and remind myself, yeah, you're crazy as far as food goes. And, um, you know, and I have all this freedom now. And I would so much rather miss getting off on my dinner than miss, you know, like I'd rather miss that than miss enjoying the person's company who I'm with. So um, that's, that's what I have. Thank you all so much.